it's Jason Cunningham and welcome to Save My Business, Episode 2. The podcast is really designed at helping small and medium-sized businesses navigate through these tough times and pop out the other side with a much bigger, much stronger and healthier business. Now, before we get underway, I need to let you know that due to the current restrictions we're facing in Victoria with Lockdown 2.0, this episode has been recorded remotely, so please excuse any potential audio irregularities. Now, with that being said, today I'm super fortunate to have my good friend, client, and some would say very often drinking partner, a fellow by the name of David Schwartz with me today, aka The Ox, and also known as Theo X in some circles. Now, The Big Ox played 173 games for the mighty Melbourne Footy Club, represented Victoria many a time and kicked quite a heap of goals, and was known in many circles as one of the best centre-half forwards to ever pull on the boots. Now, these days, he's a rock star on radio, uh, broadcasting on 3RW, and prior to that, was very well known for his successful and long-running show, The Run Home, on 1116 SEN. Ox, welcome aboard, fella. Yeah, hello, Jace. Uh, great to be here and great to be involved with you. Yeah, thanks very much for joining us, Dave. Pleasure. Now, I'm sure there's a question on the minds of many of the people listening to this podcast. Jace, have you gone mad? Why have you got a former AFL champion turned media personality on Save My Business podcast? Good question. The reason for that is this. I wanted to preface by letting um, everyone understand that for mine, rather than just focus in, in business, one of the things that we talk about is how do we adhere or how do we adopt best practice in our industry? And for mine, I reckon rather than just having the four walls of our industry, you know, enclose that, why wouldn't we look at best practice across every industry? And I reckon there's a whole heap that small and medium-sized businesses can glean from elite sporting clubs. And the AFL is a passionate of mine and I'm really passionate about the game. I'm, a, I'm an essence supporter. We're not going the best at, at minute, nor have we been for the last 20 years. But I love footy. I love it at local level and I love it at the elite professional level. And one of the things that elite sporting clubs do, I reckon, better than anyone else is they plan and they plan and they plan. And they plan the game plan and the off-field game plan, if you like, within an inch of its life. And once they get that right, they then engage every stakeholder at the club, both the football players, both the, the non-playing staff, as well as the admin team, and everybody buys into the plan. Then they practice the plan, they train the plan, then they refine the plan. And if, if plan A doesn't go according to plan, which is what most plans do, they've got plan B and plan C. They've got plans for different circumstances, how they play the game at home versus how they play the game away at different grounds and different weather conditions. If I put a pause in it right there, if I contrast that with a lot of small businesses, most of us don't even have a plan. And the stats are that somewhere around 80 to 85% of small business owners do not have a plan. And those that do have the wrong type of plan. I think another 10% or so have a plan that's archaic, more than three, four, five years old. And some that are you know, new age or whatever have got a plan but don't share it with any of their team members in fear that um, they might leak too much sensitive information. Look at the opposite in the elite sporting club. The elite sporting club shares every nuance of their plan with every single team member on the team. And every single team member knows their role and how their role fits in to said plan. And remember, currently I think there's 42 players on the list. We can only roll out 22 every week. So half the people are fighting for someone's job. I mean, it's crazy to think. But if you look at the elite sporting clubs and if you look at the clubs over the last 15 years and you take, for example, Richmond, Hawthorne, Geelong, these clubs are crystal clear on their plan. They don't listen to the outside noise. They're not terribly interested in what journalists have got to say about them. And in some circumstances, they don't even look at the scoreboard. They're very clear on the key performance indicators of what they need to achieve game by game, quarter by quarter, minute by minute. And every single player on that team is crystal clear. So I think that just sort of gives you a bit of context as to why I've got the Ox uh, on the line. So, Dave, yeah. tell us this. You played footy with Melbourne for, I don't know, the best part of 10 years. Can you share with us some of your experiences around the game plan and how you as a club um, and, and the teammates that you played with, how you adopted to the game plan? Yeah, um, I, I think that I think the footy... And professional sport, in, and not just not just footy, but professional sport, 
has got so many dynamics, which is very similar to business. And and I'd never been involved with business, so I didn't understand it until I actually went through the process. But from the minute I arrived at the Melbourne Footy Club, the first thing I learned was the historical part of the footy club. So we went back to, we had Hassaman and Ian Ridley, who'd been heavily involved in uh, the 50s and 60s premiership era for Melbourne. And when Melbourne were, were the most successful footy club. So we learned about the history of the club. So straight away, you find out who the club is, what they do, how they did it, and, and why we exist today. And, and a lot of people, actually, if, I, if you don't mind me interjecting, a lot of people don't realise that I think that these won six flags out of yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, they right? yeah, they were almost, you know, they're untouchable. And then and then previous to that, it was them and Collingwood that went head-to-head. So, um, and, then you, and then you hear about some of the mistakes they made where they sacked, uh, you know, they won the 64 Premiership and then they hadn't lost a game up until round eight, I think, and then they sacked Norm Smith the following year. And so you learn about the the things they did well and then the things they didn't do so well. And how old were you, Ox, when you arrived at Melbourne Footy Club? I was 14. And that introduction was probably at 15. And then you, you kind of go through the process and then you try to fit into the business. You try to be a part of the footy club. And as a young man, you're just trying to establish yourself. So, you know, it's like getting a, your first job and you're, you're doing the paper run or, you you know, you're, you know, you're filling the photocopier up or whatever it is. That's what we were doing in the under-19s and then finally in the reserves. And then you get your taste of senior footy, which I did in 91. And and even then, you still didn't feel like you belonged. You know, there's a fair bit happening uh, with list positioning. So you're trying to you're trying to um, position yourself in front of the boss, which is the coach, yeah. to try and get yourself a um, to try and get yourself a, a position in the side as a regular, which was an interesting uh, thing in itself. We had 52 players on the list, so to be to be seen and to be heard. You had to do things really well. No, you had to do things differently. Who was the coach back then, Ox? Uh, John Norley was the coach. And then I got my chance in 91 and played six games. And then 92, I played every game and I was pretty much established. But I, I learned very quickly that that footy clubs are very clear in a number of things. They're very clear that we exist to win premierships, we exist to make finals, and we exist to be as best we can. Uh, motivation has never been a problem. And uh, since having my own business, motivation can be a real issue for for, for small business, but I found at footy clubs, motivation isn't a problem. You've got 30,000 sets of eyes that are watching you from a supporter base. Except and then you're, during the ski season for Melbourne. <laughs> except, except for June and July uh, for Melbourne supporters. But And then you've got the TV audience, then you've got the press, and you've got the radio, and you've got all the other people that, are, that have got a vested interest in you. So, But I, but I, but I learned that it's very much like a lot of small business, you've got a marketing department, you've got an accounting department, um, you've got a PR department, you've then got, we had a footy department because that was our, that's why we existed because we're, we're a footy team and we had a medical area. We had all the parts of our business, you know, we were relying upon a couple of things and the things that they were relying upon was you had to recruit good players, yep. you had to develop good players and you had to keep good players and you had to get rid of the rat bags. And every business is the same. Every business is about finding the best people to carry out the job or the business that you're looking at doing. And if you have dickheads or you have people that are substandard that, you know, don't get the results, it becomes a real issue. Let's talk about one of the biggest challenges in business is that that, uh, perennial notion around, you know, the number one sales guy who always gets their numbers is quite toxic in the office or the team environment. Have you got an example of that happening when you were playing footy? Absolutely. You know, Gary Ablett, senior, was the best player that I've ever seen yep. and played against. But if you ask any player at the time when they were playing with Gary Ablett, he was poison at the club. And he was poison because he didn't train. Any young kid that came through, he'd snip them for a dollar or two. And yeah. But he was a lovable rogue. And he would get it done on match day. So the compromise is... Do you give up on the greatest player for the sake of the team? Mm. Well, probably not on this instant because you could actually deal with him. Yeah. And that was where it was up to the coaches of the time and Malcolm Blight and Gary Ayres and all the other coaches that Gary Ablett had to make sure that whatever happened, that Gary was looked after, that the players understood that he was different, he was exceptional, and they tolerated him. In today's world, because it is more professional, that that just wouldn't occur nearly as much as what it did back then, because they because they know now that it's just not worth the trouble. 
But as, as, as I said, you've got to try and find the best people and the best players. And that's why if you want to go and get an Alistair Clarkson right now, you're going to have to pay a million bucks. Yeah. If you want to go and get a Nat Fife, you're going to have to pay a million bucks because you to get the best, you've got to pay for them. So, so, so and then it goes back to, but if you develop your players, if you get the players in and you can teach them and nurture them and wrap yourselves, you know, wrap them up and, you know, give them every tool necessary, they can they can turn out to be just as valuable as a Nat Five, yeah. but in a totally different way and less expensive to your organisation with less hang-ups. Yeah, they've got no unadulterated sort of influences from other clubs or other environments, but you've got to put a bit of time in them. But sometimes you want sometimes you want to bring people in too that do it different to you because you're not doing it correct. Yeah, and you bring in a different set of eyes rather than the group think methodology. That you, that so, so, so if, I, if I was to be recruiting for Melbourne now, and we're, we're, we're a pretty shit side, so if, if, if I was going to Melbourne, I'd be going to people that have been involved with Geelong, yep. people that have been involved with Hawthorne, people that have been involved with um, even the Brisbane Lions, you know, the last mm. year or two. Those that have been involved with some success mm. rather than going to Essendon, you know, um, St Kilda have been, you know, parentally, you know, up until, you know, 2010, they had a bit of a breakout. But you would go to people that have had some sort of success. Yeah. So, Lox, if I'm going to jump across, and I will all over the place, um, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, 15 or 16 years or maybe even longer. Um, and, and some of the listeners will know, but some of them may not know, um, the setbacks that you experienced during your football career. And, uh, you know, a lot of business owners are listening right now and have been faced with setback after setback after setback. You know, those businesses that are in the hospitality industry, you know, health and fitness industry, real estate industry, a lot of businesses just can't even operate. Mm. Now, I know you, and you didn't have not just one uh, knee reconstruction, but you had two and you had three. Can you just tell and share with the listeners some of that story? I- I'm keen to hear... You, know, you spoke earlier about motivation and how important that was for you. I just want to hear from you um, your thoughts around that and how you dealt with it. Yeah, look, I'm not sure who actually taught me this, but I think resilience and bouncing back from adversity are two of the best um, traits a person can have. You know, my, my story is probably a little bit a little bit different than most, but I saw my dad get shot and murdered in front of me when I was young. Yeah, let's uh, not just stop them. That's massive. Yeah, that, that was a big... Oh, yeah, no. I was eight. Yeah. Um, probably too young to understand the whole um, the whole severity right. of, yeah. you know, what had just happened. And then we moved from country Victoria to Beechworth and I was a kid that always had talent, so I could always play sport really easily. And you've mentioned that to me many a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we, which, which kind of, you know, that was okay. That was my outlet. Um, academically, I was okay. I did year 12 and I, I did a science degree and, and went and did a master's at uh, Melbourne Uni. But I only did that because I was pretty organised and I had the ability to do it because I had some money coming in from uh, playing footy. It, 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 I, I had a number of injuries. I had 23 knee operations whilst I played footy. I had three Ricos. Um, I had ITB tidings. I had a broken femur in three spots, hands and ribs and, and all that. Getting over injuries are easy because there's an end date. Because well, you, you know, when you have a, if you have a reconstruction, you know that you're going to be fixed in six weeks. You're going to be walking. In eight weeks, you're going to be um, half jogging. In twelve weeks, you're going to be full running. In sixteen weeks, you're going to be full training. And within a year, you're going to be back to pretty much everything that you were before the knee injury. So you, there, there's a time frame. Let me pause you on that. So I get that, right? So there's an end game and it's, you take us through the process, but in a year I'm up and running again. What happens when you're up and running again, you do your knee for the second time? You look at it and you go, there's a challenge here. You've got to go again. You've got to go again. And and then, and then 12 months later, you're playing a practice match up in Albury. You do it again. Uh, you, you do your knee, you come off, you punch the coach's box and you break your hand. Yeah, um, yeah I was frustrated, but, <laughs> but I knew that I knew that I had more to give. I knew that this was unfinished business and, and I knew I had to prove a lot of people wrong Yeah, because everyone had doubted me, even my teammates. My last Rico, I had I'd played 66 games, my 66th game. I played another 107 after uh, after all that. So one of my proudest my, uh, things of my career was that I was able to get back and do that. Um, I'm not sure who told me. It might have been Barmy, Neil Barm, uh, my coach at the time, but he said, you won't be remembered for... You know your marks and your goals. You'll be remembered for how you came back. Mm. So 
So just give it 100% and see what you can do. Um, you had to give it more than 100% though because it's not it's not the physical things that you deal with, it's the mental things. Yeah. So I had to surround myself with good people and, um, and, and look, I was young and I made stupid decisions. I hung out with dickheads and mm. as we all do when you're growing up. But you kind of got to go through, I think you got to go through adversity to actually understand, you know, how good it is on the other side. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's not... Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad is a book that I've that I've read a couple of times, and I and I just think that you'll get given choices in life where you, you'll get to decide. Well, I'll just quit. You know, I've done it three times. So I quit. Well, I don't want to be known as a quitter. And then there's the you know there's other things like um you know I had the same surgeon for the first two and it didn't work. I could have just taken the third surgeon, but hang on, if I go down the same path again, I'm going to make the same mistakes. So I went and changed surgeons. So I was always constantly thinking about you know, making sure that that was right. Now, I, you know, my biggest issue whilst I was playing footy is I lost all my money because yeah. I was a gambler. So I lost $4.5 million whilst playing footy and I walked away. a good effort actually to give away four and a half. Not easy. Yeah. So, and, I wasn't, and I wasn't just a bad punter, yeah, but I was a bad punter when I drank. Yeah, right. So another, another bad decision. So it, it wasn't until I actually left footy and actually realised, shit, I've lost everything. Mm. But I need to, that's when I had to start working mm. and I had to start working really hard. So, I mean, some of your punting stories, I don't want to gloss over them, but correct if I'm wrong, you, you won 750 grand one day, the races, it was, it was put a deposit down on a place yeah, and couldn't settle. And- you know this, Jase, it, it was never enough. Like it was never, when you're, when you're in the throes of an addiction, it doesn't matter how much you win or, you know, what you do, you've actually got to, you got to change your behaviour and, and, and start, um, you know, getting better, which which ended up doing. Um, yeah, Dave, I'm just going to jump in. One of the, one of, this is one of the main reasons why I got you on this podcast. I mean, there's a lot of people listening today that have been faced with a shit ton of adversity. I mean, you're a bloke that was touted as a superstar at the age of 14, arrived at Melbourne Footy Club, got involved in the under-19s, played the first senior game at the age of 19, went through three neck surgeries, came back, played up, another 100 plus games of footy, uh, played in a grand final, did all that sort of stuff. Um, towards the end of your career, you're doing a bit of punning and all that sort of stuff, jumped out of that, gave away four and a half bricks um, to betting agencies and all that sort of stuff. I mean, if there's ever a bloke that's been knocked down many times before, it's you. And there are a lot of people listening that have been belted a lot. Yeah. So what can they glean? What are the things that, you know, the people that are listening today, what can they gravitate towards to help them get through the next period? Yeah, it's a really good question. Other than my dad dying, I could control most of it. I couldn't control my injuries, but I couldn't control dad dying, but I could control my punting and I could control the people that I hung out with. Yeah. It was amazing what happened when I actually decided to get help, how many people were willing to help. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest fear for a lot of blokes, um, and I think women too, and, and independent people, that they're too scared to actually put their hand out and say, shit, I need a hand here. Yeah. I really do. And whether it's, a, you know, I, I know when you've got a sore tooth, you go to the dentist. Mm. I know I know when I needed surgery, I went to the doctor. Mm. But when I needed when I needed somebody to hit me between the eyes with honesty mm. and actually back me in and not believe that I was going to stuff up again, it, it was important that, you know, and you were a big part of that, that, you, you let yourself go, and you and you actually open up, and and you be brave to be able to discuss it. Because yeah. we never spoke about it. Even when Dad died, we never discussed it as a family. Because back then, Dad's dead. You move on. You know, it wasn't. You know, like now, you know, we, we talk about our feelings. I think social media has certainly helped that. That people now are willing to talk. I just wouldn't talk. I'd close down. If I had a win, I'd tell everyone. If I had a loss, I wouldn't tell anybody. Uh, and and then mum mum gave mum always had a great piece of advice for me. She said, "You hang around dogs, you catch fleas." I was infested because I was hanging out with idiots, mm. like really really ordinary people that weren't going to help. And then I finally got into SEN and started doing some radio, and I had some stability in my life. I'm off the punt. I landed a job with Channel Seven, um, and some things opened up because once you play professional sport, especially AFL, doors will always open up. Now, there's a person that was in my life. Uh, in the early days, his name was Gary Lyon. We're not close anymore. But Gary said to me, this footy club will open doors forever. Yeah. You've got to network. You've got to and – not, and not network to be a, a suck. Yeah. Just 
just if a sponsor walks in the room, they're paying, they're paying for the privilege to be a part of the club. They're helping pay for your wage. Be nice, be kind. You just never know what might happen. And it was the best piece of advice I, I ever got because I became, I became really comfortable in that environment. I used to love, you know, talking to the sponsors. My, my player sponsor that I had from the day I walked in the door was Richard, Richard and Denise Haddam. They're still my great friends today. They sponsored me from day one to the day I retired. Not because they were filthy rich or anything like that, but we had a relationship. It, it became more well, just a player player sponsor relationship. It became a friendship, and I think that I think that people are so intent on doing business when there is even more than just doing business. You, you know, just to just to speak to somebody on their level and, and having the ability to go to levels. And I'm talking. You can talk to a lawyer or you can talk to someone in prison. Yeah. If you can do that, it is a skill that is so underrated and so important that I can, you know, I, I think I can do it okay where I can speak to anybody who comes up and asks for an autograph when I was playing footy or any sponsor from the boss of the AFL or the boss of whoever that you can actually communicate on different levels, on different topics and actually give of yourself to them it makes a, a massive difference in the in the long term for the relationship that you'll have. Yeah. And remember this last bit: if you can remember their names, oh. if you have a memory of being able to remember someone's name, wow, that is power. So what I can glean from that piece just then, Ox, is two things. The first is you spoke about the independent person and how much they struggle asking for help, yeah. and whether that's the elite athlete or whether it's the entrepreneur or business owner. And I guess if I look at it through the lens of the business owner, typically the language or the conversation or the narrative that's going on in their head is that I started this business, I should know everything there is to know about it. Mm. And it's a challenge for them to ask for help. So I guess lesson one is for us to understand that it's safe to be vulnerable and ask for help. Yep. Now, what a lot of people don't know about you, big fella, is sure they know that you're an ex-AFL champion, but they don't realise that you've got a master's degree and you're actually a very intelligent person, even though sometimes you play the dumb card. And you're great with numbers. Mm. But I must give it to you, you do have that aspect around being safe to be vulnerable and about asking questions. I mean, I've known you for a long time yep. and uh, you've never been afraid to ask for help. I think that's pretty powerful. And the second thing I heard was that whole humility piece. Every member of the team has a role. Mm. Um, I, I know from my experience working in the media, some of the people just got a little bit ahead of themselves and... Uh, you know, weren't in a position to speak to the production staff or post-production or the runners or the cameraman or anything like that. And when I contrast that with you and your attitude and, and the person that I know you are and listening to your stories about back in the old footy days, you're very humble and were able to have conversations with every stakeholder at the footy club, yeah. not just your fellow players and not just the line coaches, but also, you know, your player sponsor and, and the other sponsors and the supporters of the footy club. And I think that trait there is something that we can all take out. Absolutely. You know, the, the coach is important, but I'm telling you the masseur is just as important as the coach because without him, we don't get the rub downs and you don't, you know, and you become a part of their lives. Yeah. You know, that's, um, I, I think that's, I think that is really crucial in, under, especially as a business owner. Like, you know, I've had businesses, which I, I had a business and I just recently sold it called Super Tramp, which became Super World, which was trampoline climbing entertainment centers. And, and you needed to know everybody. And we, we had 60 employees at one, 40 at another, and 50 at another. And I could have walked into any of those venues and known every one of the staff members yeah. because it's important that you're not just seen as a face, that you're actually part of the business. Yeah. So, um, now, and do I know everything? No, I don't. That's yeah. why I have an accountant. That's why I have a marketing team. And that's why I have, you know, specialists in, in that area to to help me. I know, I know what I know. Yeah. And that is about one... 50th of what yeah. I need to know to run a business. And that's why you get people in to help you and you get programs and you get, you know, everything there to support you to make the right decisions. And, and that's where the correlation comes from uh, business and elite sporting teams. And if we take an AFL football side, we've got one centre-half board. Yep. Then you've got a, a full-back, you've got a ruckman, you've got the, the, the on-ballers, you've got the wingers, you've got the Everyone plays their role. And as long as everybody knows their role and plays their role in accordance with the game plan, chances are we're going to win. Yep, that's right. And, and talk, talking about um, understanding yourself and asking for help, Jay, uh, when I gave up punting and I finally got off it, I took up um, smoking. And I never smoked before. Never. 
at 30 till I thought, why not? You know, what a beautiful habit to, to get involved with. So I started smoking Benzangia 16s and I smoked them for a year and then got off them and then started smoking cigars, Wee Willems, 40 a day. Yeah, I remember. And smoking them, not puffing them, smoking them. Smoking them right back, big boy. And then I finally got off them and started drinking coffee, 22 dumbbells a day. And I thought, hang on a minute, I've got a huge issue here. And this was the first time I asked for professional help and I went and saw... Were you having 22 coffees a day, Ox? 22 doubles a day. So so I go and see this lady named Jan Beams who I'd been recommended to, a Melbourne supporter um, and the Beams family in, yes. in AFL. In the so yeah. another yeah. network contact. So I went and saw her and she, she said, um, what's the problem? I said, oh, I can't get off coffee. I was on the smokes. I was on the punt. She goes, you got bigger issues than, than addiction. Let's go back and talk. So we had a chat and we started speaking about dad and – and she said, it's like an onion. Over years, you just cover things up and you put another layer on. She said, we've got to get rid of the layers here. We've got to, we've got to really, you know, get to the bottom of the problem. And, you know, we worked with each other for 18 months. And I walked away from those meetings with her and I was a, I was a different person. I was actually calm. I was in control. I didn't realize I was as anxious as what I was. And I could just see things really, really clearly. My work got better. You know, it's, so after seeing her, Things just started to take off, um, so it was just it was just navigating your way through, yeah. and then all of a sudden I got to this lady, and she was like the lollipop lady who just who just gave me the directions that I needed to go and when to stop, and you know warning signs, and you know put and then we put roadblocks in place so I wouldn't fall over and and fall over again. So it was just finding the thing that worked for me. And Jan worked for me, and Jan won't work for you, and may not work for everyone else. Everyone else, but but there will be someone there that you'll find yeah. that you get great results with. And when that happens, mm. grab on, hold on tight, and suck as much information out of that person as you can, because um, you, you know the improvement will be you know enormous. Well, you know psychologists are becoming more and more uh, commonplace and people are feeling more and more comfortable having conversations um, with these professionals. I mean, you're crook, you're going to see your GP, you got as you said before Ox, you got a sore tooth, you're going to see the dentist, you got an issue, you know, I should a hamstring or whatever you got to see, physio, chiro, osteo, whatever it is. And it's becoming more and more commonplace, which is great. Dave, I want to I want to continue on with your story because I, I just think it's amazing you as, as you mentioned earlier, you got out of footy, uh, you hanging around some uh, likely types, if you like, and as the, as the old saying goes, you know, typical, typically the average of the five people you spend your most time with. You left that group, you landed a job at SCN, you jumped into Channel 7, but the itch was still there and, and you you spoke about operating in your genius and you got together with a friend and a business partner and you set up at the start, it was super tramped, it grew into super world. Just talk us through that journey and, and how that started and where that ended up. And um, just share that with uh, the listeners. I had this idea prior to, um, and there's another business that opened in Melbourne called Bounce. And uh, I'd seen this in America some years before, and I thought, wow, this is a cracking idea. And I I tried to find the right partner. And I'd always been told to go into business with with someone who has more money than you. Yeah. Um, I don't know who told me that. It might have been you, Jay. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. It was really good advice. Anyway, I, I had a partner picked out, and that fell over. And then I happened to fall into a uh, partner, uh, Neville. And ne- Neville was successful in his own right and, and he looked at it and he said, I'll come back to you. And about nine months later, he said, yeah, I'm interested. Anyway, so we put down the numbers of what we thought it would do. And, and as, as of course, when you're doing it for the first time, the numbers blew out yeah. and uh, thankfully he had, the, he had deep pockets to do it. But I put the house on the line and mm. uh, we put everything on the line to, to get this business up and going. And in the first 12 months, we were really concerned. Like the, the numbers just weren't coming in and, and you were doing the books, Jay. It was really hairy and we had to borrow and we had to, you know, really stabilise and cut the guts out of it to to get it um, operational. Anyway, year two, we stabilised. Mm-hmm. Year three, we started hitting some good numbers. And year four, it, it just took off like you wouldn't believe and we had a couple more businesses we opened up. And uh, it was going along really well and then... You know, the partnership, you know, partners have different ideas and beliefs and, and, and I'm not backwards in coming forward. And, um, and plus there was a few other things that you wanted to do. Yeah, and, and I had another business idea that I was looking at. And anyway, come Christmas time, there was an opportunity where my partner said, you know, I'm happy to buy, you know, look at buying you out. Anyway, I kind of sat on it for a bit and it was, it was early February 
and I was playing golf with a guy and he said, oh, you've been watching this Corona thing. And I said, oh, not really. He goes, and he, he owns pet stocks. He owns a couple of pet stocks. And uh, he said, oh, I'm just a bit worried about it that, you know, business, you know, activities and, you know, sport is going to be affected because it's going to be about close contact. Mm. He said the pet food industry will be will be okay because people have got pets. They're going to keep – so anyway, I thought about it and then I rang you up and, and um, anyway, we said to Neville, yeah, look, we're interested in mm. selling him and we had a deal done. And COVID hit about a month later, yeah. and um, you know timing's everything. And we didn't settle, and then we we end up cutting it down significantly yeah. because of um, future earnings and that weren't there. But it, what it said to me was timing is important. But and I'm a huge believer in this, and I know this probably won't make good business sense. But our gut feel is gut feel is real important. Intuition, whatever you want to call it. Oh, look, nine times out of ten, maybe 95 times out of 100, your gut is, your instinct is always right. And you can sort of sense something, at, at, you know, you know if something's wrong. Um, yeah. You can always tell um, when, you know, something's not right. And then if you back that up with the numbers, typically there's your answer. I knew that I was, I knew that I was selling out early and I yeah. knew that I was selling out and leaving a lot on the table. Mm. But I'd also been told you got to leave something for the next person as well. You don't get greedy. Yeah. And I could have got greedy and held on. Yeah. And the deal probably wouldn't have got done because COVID had hit and and we know what's happened there. Mm. But at the same time, I had this other business opportunity, which is a, a media business, media buying and planning. Mm. And I've been in radio a long time now to understand how it works yeah. and um, some of the practices in relation to advertising mm-hmm. are, are despicable, to say the least. Um, I, th- I think people in good faith go into these agree- agreements on and, and trying to you know, grow their business and they're steered down the wrong path. So myself and Mark Allen, my co-host, and um, some really good people uh, are involved yeah. um, and big hitters within, yeah. within town. And I've always believed since I've started doing business, you get in a business with, with the right people that it can actually help you mm. and you can help them. It's got to be a win-win. So these people are, you know, from the footy world and as Gary Lyon said, Doors will always open up, yeah. and um, they're not from Melbourne; they're actually from Carlton. <laughs> so we've become we've become business partners now, and um, and we've been able to open a business during COVID, which I would have thought was impossible. Yeah. But we're we're up and going, and it's called Assembled Media, and um, so we're buying, planning, we've got digital, we've got we've got a whole gamut when it comes to media. So yeah. um, I'm really proud to be a part of that. It's different; it's yeah. out of my comfort zone. I don't know it like I knew my other businesses, but guess what? You learn. That's right. You jump in and you have a crack. All right. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to jump back to Assembled Media in a minute if I can uh, because I'd argue you do know a fair bit about that space considering you've been on air talent for 15-plus years. So I'll jump back into that in a minute if I can. I I want to talk about probably the top three or four reasons why you thought uh, Super Tramp and then Super World, why that became so successful. I I think I know why you jumped into it and a lot of people don't know that you used to be a a trampoline champion, a bloke that is known as the Ox, six foot five and 110 kilos playing weight and all that sort of stuff was a was a you know a, I don't know if it's Victorian or national trampoline champion. Um, so talk to us about why you got into it, but why you think uh, it became so successful. What are the three or four things that you guys did in business that you could mark down as these are the critical success factors of this organisation? Um, having younger kids, we went to a lot of play centres that were dirty, filthy, and offered three things. They offered. A ball pit with with plastic balls. They offered some slides and they offered some, you know, big play equipment um, that had nothing else mm. other than that. Mm. Um, the world's a different place to what what it was when we grew up. When we grew up, it was go outside, come back in at dark for dinner, and uh, the lights go on in the street, and, yeah. and just do what you want to do. Yeah. Can't do that now. The world is different. You know, there's a lot of idiots out there. There's there's not as much space. The living is now dense, so we've got 400 meter block rather than you know quarter acre blocks, yeah. and so so there's not as much room. So we identified that you know playgrounds and um, um, indoor activity centres were going to boom, and they were going to be big. And I'd seen the growth in AMF bowling, and you know that sort of leisure activity was growing. So trampolines, indoor climbing, Ninja Warrior, all that sort of stuff we identified, and we put it together. We got a colour scheme out that we thought was good, which was clean, healthy, it was bright, it was fresh. Um, And we got really lucky because not only that, we had a lot of special needs kids that were looking for 
you know, an alternative. Um, indoor, we want to be able to cut it from zero to 80. So we had the, the little kiddies and then we had the clip and climb for the elderly and we had the trampolines for everybody else. Yeah. So we, we identified it, we put it together and it just took a long time to establish. But once people became used to it and understood what we were about, it was unbelievable. But there was also some hesitations. You know, it only takes one child or one person to severely injure themselves yeah. and that was a real concern. So first of all was safety. We got we, we, we formed a thing called the ATPA, um, which was the uh, Australian Trampolines Parks Association, so uh, an amusement association. So it was about putting together a group of people that were running these businesses to ensure that there was a certain standard met. Yeah, a bit like an ISO sort of standard. Type. Yeah, 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 right. There was rat bags everywhere. Yeah. So a lot of them didn't want to conform. A lot of them didn't have the money to adjust their parks mm. after they'd built. And I know after you did that, that your insurance premiums came down significantly. Yep. So we started off really low and then there, there was a spike in injuries um, at a couple of parks, which affected everybody. Mm. At the same time, we had the Dreamworld incident, which also affected uh, the industry, which knocked everyone around. So our insurance went from, say, 15000 to 60000 overnight. And then I think it went even higher. It might have even got to 90000 in one year. So it, it blew out. But we just stood by what we believed and we and we, we we chaired that body so we could have some sort of control. We went overseas. We, we continually looked at new technology and... and we had a manager. I'm not joking. We 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 fluked the manager who just who was an ex-athlete himself, who was just so good and was able to pull everything together. Had a great staff, um, you know. And they say that 15 and 16 and 17 year old kids are hard to handle. Our kids were just amazing. Yeah. You know, a great place to work, and we made it in, we made it enjoyable for them. But at the same time, we made them very accountable. And um, we looked for kids that had spent time at McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, which is a great proving ground, a great we wanted, training. We wanted, we wanted to be able to follow a process. Yeah, yeah. You know, we wanted it, we wanted it clean. We wanted it. We wanted the the park to look really good. So, if you could follow processes at McDonald's, well, our, our place is like McDonald's on steroids for enjoyment. because you know, I reckon flipping burgers compared to doing backflips, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a fair difference. Absolutely, and look, what you've, look if I can if I can summarise what you spoke about you. You really just touched on again the balanced scorecard. You, you you you've focused on your people, getting the right people, whether it be the young kids or the manager. You know, creating an environment that allows them to be the very best that they can be. You put in place strict protocols and processes that this is the way we do business here at Supertramp, and then you focus on the customer, whether it's the fresh brand, the logo, um, making sure the park was nice and clean. But also, you didn't just focus on the kid. Uh, you actually focused on their parents as well, and you made it an environment that the parents, uh, predominantly mums, uh, would come down, have a coffee, enjoy spending time with each other. Had so Wi-Fi, had Wi-Fi, made sure that they were comfortable, had all the papers there, had, you know, Foxtel up on the screen so that they could sit there and watch. And so you could watch the footy. <laughs> but you're right, it was, it was about, you walk in there, you don't have to worry about one thing. Yeah. You know that everything's going to be safe. We've got cameras everywhere. We've got, you know, beautiful toilets. Like our toilets were just... The one thing we said, toilets for kids and parents have got to be Mickey Mouse, and we spent a ton on the toilets. And I know they did that at roadhouses, actually. And when you go out the highway, the, the yeah. roadhouse best toilets always get the truckies and always get people. Stuff. And our comments on social media were about the toilet. You know, the play, the playground was crap, but <laughs> uh, okay, now the toilets, you've got to go there for the lose. And a big thing, Ox, that you guys did in your business was that focus and the dedication around the numbers. You you would always do a budget every year, then you'd have a rolling forecast, and you'd always have conversations, you know, quite periodic. Monthly, you're having conversations around actual performance against budget. Can you tell me how important that was for you guys? Yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know how to read a P&L, and I didn't know how to do a budget and a three-way forecasting mm -hmm prior to meeting Neville and he was a wizard on it so he yeah. taught me how to do it. it it was about adjusting don't be scared don't be scared to change your budget like some people set a budget in June and they don't look at it again until May the following year we looked at it every week every week we, we went through the numbers every Tuesday so our meeting was every Tuesday every month we, then we had a big monthly where marketing presented account finance presented um, and then a team member from the floor and then every quarter we brought the bank in um, we brought because um, we had a marketing external marketing arm as well, so we brought them in and everyone presented. So there was the, the longest we would ever go without knowing where the numbers were 
was six days. Yeah, wow. And, and you've got to be on top of it because yeah, guess, you guys are having three, four different facilities in the, in the airport. That's right, because if something's going wrong, and, and we, our percentages became so tight, we just knew. We knew that because we had some uh, those arcade games, you know, like uh, yeah. claws, and we had vibrating chairs. We knew that, that we knew that that was three percent of turnover. Now, if we came in for and it was down at one percent for the month, we knew why. Three machines were down. Well, hang on a minute. Why are the machines down? They, we, we know where to get them fixed. Go and get them fixed. So you nip it in the bud before it became an issue. And I can't take any credit for that. That, that was Neville. He drove that. That was his baby. And that's why he's successful because his attention to detail on the little things didn't amount to become big things. Yeah, my old boss used to say, Ox, look after the cents and the dollars will take care of themselves. Yeah, the other thing is, too, you've got to have a great relationship with your bank. Yeah. You know, if it's good news or bad news, you still got to be in contact with them with them regularly. You know, there was a period there we were trying to get more money out because we wanted to grow, mm. and we just weren't hitting the numbers. We weren't hitting their criteria. So we had to change. We had to actually work with them to, to tell us how, how can we grow with you, how do we do it? You tell us if you want if if we're doing our numbers at three percent, which was the interest rate that we're paying, and, and you're working out the numbers on seven, we need to know that. So they said, guess what? All the lending we're doing, we base it on seven point seven percent, because that's the margin that we need when things hit the fan like they are right now with COVID. So thanks for that little segue. Uh, yeah. One of the things that was remiss of me not to bring up, and I I know we spoke about the adversity you faced with and how you've overcome challenges, whether it be the the passing of your father, the three knee Ricos, the gambling addiction. Uh, yep. You're pretty good on the cigarettes and the cigars, and not to mention the 22 coffees that I The kids still don't know that, so let's keep yeah. that in <laughs> um, The one thing I wanted to address is, yep. I guess, the elephant in the room, despite the fact they were in different rooms, was the impact or the kick in the guts that you got um, Christmas a couple of years ago when you were told or you found out that uh, – that long-standing, uh, very high-rating show, The Run Home on SCN, was about to finish up. Even despite the fact that we had contracts ready to go and you'd been given the verbal nod that we're going to go into next year and for a couple of years after that. Mm. Can you just share with us how that felt and what you did post that uh, conversation and finding out that devastating news? Um, it was hard. It was really, really tough because I was really comfortable. I'd had, you know, we, we'd had the best ratings for the last seven years, I'd, my show had always rated the highest, and um, I brought in more money, um, more more revenue than than anybody else. And I brought that in because I always thought that radio was a really fickle industry. I'd seen Limo and Bridget and Limo get the flick from Gold, and I, I thought, how can they get the flick? They were the number one rating show when they got the flick. So I thought, no, no. What I'll do is I'll bolster my position here. I'll bring people in. I'll bring businesses in. Get them to sponsor, support. And I'll be the, the golden child because I'll be the hero because they can't get that money without me. So I had five or six sponsors that were bringing in about a quarter of a million each. That were tru- truly, truly from my contacts. contacts. So I brought them in, you know, really, you know, really looked after them and, you know, and did it really well. Anyway, so uh, we got bought out by a bloke named um, uh, Craig Hutchinson, who owned a company called Croc. Hutch used to live with me many, many years ago. Had a falling out and he got me. He sacked me. I had a contract in place for two years, so I was going to go through the courts and mm. and, and he knew that he, he he didn't have a leg to stand on, but he was willing to roll the, roll the dice. As it turned out, when I left, there was another radio station just setting up called Macquarie Sport, which was a part of AW, and I got offered a job there, so the legal action stopped because I, I had another contract. And but with great delight, I just took all those sponsors straight from SEN and took them straight over to um, to Macquarie. End up being around about three million dollars worth of yeah. worth of clients. Now I'd never do that normally, but I was jaded. Mm. I got really, really pissed off that I'd been given the flick, and um, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to get even here. Mm. And I just and I just attacked. I, I attacked where it hurt, and that was the sponsors. I just went after them all, and and. Then I realised that, you know, these these people don't necessarily spend money because they want to hear their name on radio. They spend their money because they actually want to be associated with with trust and with loyalty. And when the trust and loyalty was not given by SEN, they were as annoyed as what I was yeah. and were more than happy to come across. So, yeah. you, know, you know, as I said, that, that relationship building within business is crucial and it goes much further than just the person and, 
and just the values that they've got. It's 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 all encompassing. So we, and and now you find yourself with Macquarie rolling back into AW. Now you find yourself on AW, and and and, and a lot of opportunities there with you and Marco. And and I've got to tell you, it's great listening, right? Uh, then, well, six to twelve months ago, the idea about the media buying and assembled media uh, popped into your head, and and um, you surrounded yourself with some pretty impressive sort of rock stars. But again, you did the same sort of thing where everybody brought their own genius to the table. Yep, that's right. Uh, and, and so, where's that business at now? And what are you looking to do? And we're going to take that away. So, so we're involved with um, a family that are very, very wealthy uh, here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm involved with. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you mind me saying, Mark Lagutishow, who's the president of the Carlton Footy Club, involved with another guy named uh, Bryce Sikulski who owns a business called MaxCap, which are big, big lenders. Um, another guy named Craig Hart, who's a lawyer. Always put a lawyer in your team. Um, it saves on paperwork. And uh, and Mark Allen and myself. This came about because of Marco, believe it or not. Um, Marco got ill. Uh, he got cancer. Uh, he was a stage four cancer survivor. He had bowel cancer, which then progressed to his lung. And he was having trouble talking on radio. And I thought, this isn't fair that, you know, he's a bloke, he's my, been my partner for 12 years. Mm. He's fighting for his life and he, he does right by so many people. And um, I just thought, we need something to fall back onto here because we can't keep doing radio forever. We need another fallback position. And, and, the, and this thing just... This thing was born and born out of Marco's illness, and also out of getting sacked at SEN and um, and then Macquarie Sport falling over. Yeah. And it just, I just thought, no, we need something bigger. We need something more sustainable than than talking shit on radio. So, um, so we thought, no, let's get involved with these people that that uh, that need help mm-hmm. to you know, spruik their business and, and get out there. Now, whether it's on radio or telly or outdoor or above the line or below the line, whatever marketing we're talking about, but we'll help them and we'll, we'll give them a brief and we'll give them a plan and we'll tell them that, you know, if they want us to hit 25 to 54-year-old males, well, we're going to find the right spot to do that. So And at the right price. And at the right price, absolutely. And, and it's no skin off their nose because we get paid by the – we get paid by the by where we place the media, not by the, the person placing the media. So um, – we went to work and we put it together and it just rolled in and and I, and I met this guy Craig Hart, who's the lawyer and he's just pulled it all together and a super super smart man. Yeah. He runs rings around most people I've ever met. Um, he's a doer. He's got compassion. He's got ethics. He doesn't cut corners, um, and he's calm. You know he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't rant and rave. He doesn't go up and down. He's just level and. When I get ahead of myself, he pulls me into the line, and he. When I get frustrated, he goes, "Just chill. We'll, we'll we'll sort it through. There's always there's always a solution." And um, sometimes in life, you need those people to come along. And like Neville came along at the right time, yeah. um, Craig Hart has come along at the right time as well. And you just got to be able to identify the opportunities when they come your way. Yeah. You know, there's you'll always hit crossroads or you'll hit a fork in the road and you either go down the good path or you go down the dickhead path. We all, we all know that moment when it's come. Yeah. Everybody, when you've met your, your partner, your, your life partner, or, you know, sometimes people go, shit, I went down the wrong path because mm. it, it ends up in a messy divorce. Um, but most often you will be able to remember in life where you were when you made a great decision or when you made a shit decision. Yeah. And, I, and I'll, I'll never forget the COVID decision about Supertramp. Yeah. I'll never forget that. And it was probably – it wasn't a bad decision, because I, but it was a lucky decision for me. Sometimes in life, you need a bit of luck. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, we're going to finish up very quick now. I just want to have maybe three or four, maybe five takeaways for our listeners just to what you think are the important um, things for them to put in their kit bag. Um, the first one I'm just – I'm going to – Know, help you out here, but this one I've heard for you that's sort of rung through the whole journey you've shared with us is surround yourself with the right people. I, I no what else can we summarize for us to take away? You've got to be honest, and, and I mean, I mean, not just telling yourself, you've got to be honest. Yeah. If you look in the mirror and you see, if you see a couple of rolls on your waist, you go, Yeah, it should be right. No, hey, you've put on weight champ. Mm. You've got to be honest with yourself, and you've got to be honest with with where you are and where you're going. Mm-hmm. If you can't be honest with yourself, other people won't be honest with you either. Yeah. You know, and you've got to be willing to take feedback. Mm. 
good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. Cop it on the chin. And I've learned that from sport that if you put in a good performance, everyone loves a pat on the back. Mm. Everyone reads the paper. Everyone, you know, it, it, and it used to be funny because I used to go down and have coffee with these two people. They were they were brothers. And if they played well, well, my God, they'd buy eight copies of each of the paper. <laughs> if they didn't play well, they wouldn't read the paper. They'd rock up in a hoodie. Yeah. They couldn't take the negative feedback. If you if you are only after good feedback, go and find a half a dozen sycophants and sit in beside you. Yeah. You need to have the ability to take good, bad, or indifferent feedback because it'll help you grow. Once you get the feedback, you've got to be willing to accept it and work on it. Not too much you need to work on good feedback, but on bad feedback, you, you need to. And if that's about if that's about showing more empathy, or if it's about you know, if it's about working harder, if it's about your output, if it's about you know the people, just just accept it. And work on it. And if you can't work on it, find someone who can help you work on it, um, which is my next point is don't be too scared to ask for help. Put your hand out. People are willing to help. And it's amazing how many good people there are out there. The people that don't want to help, they won't get in contact with you and you've lost nothing anyway. But the people who will help you, just remember who they are because they're the true friends and the true people you need around you. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I've got one sitting right across me, uh, across the table from me. David Timothy Schwartz, um, thank you very much for your time today. I, I really do appreciate it. I know um, I know a lot of people think it's so much out of that. Um, well, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here today, Jay, because of you um, and what you've been able to do through me throughout the journey because the way we met, where we were going to have a fight in your boardroom, um, from there, it only got better and better and better. And um, when I'm around you, I feel like I'm a better person. And that's a great skill to have. So thank you. Thank you, Ox. And um, I do appreciate that. I'm getting a, a little bit of a tear in my eye, but it's only because it's a fever session. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, Ox, Ox, happy birthday to you, son. And thanks again. Pleasure.